0: Welcome to the first episode of the Specialty Lens Success Podcast. I am Ted Newell, your host. The purpose of this podcast is to share the stories and pearls of wisdom related to building specialty lens practices from doctors that have achieved success in this area. In preparation for the podcast, I have already interviewed doctors at four practices, What they have shared is inspiring and informative. You should be able to learn something from every episode. Our guest today says, I really like making patients cry. Of course, he means cry with joy because they can see clearly for the first time and or their pain is gone. He also advises newcomers to specialty lenses to be bold and be the expert. Today, for our inaugural podcast, we are honored to talk to Dr. Tom Arnold. Most listeners will know of Tom. In this episode, you will hear about his journey in optometry and learn the strategies and tactics he used to build his successful specialty lens practice. We also learn about the upcoming ICSC meeting in Fort Lauderdale at the end of July. He and his colleagues at the ICSC have really enhanced this meeting with new tracks and workshops for both those that are new to scleral lens fitting and those that are more advanced. We mention a lot of helpful organizations and other resources. I will list these with links in the show notes. And I want to thank Eaglet for helping to sponsor and produce this podcast. Let's get together with Tom to learn how he succeeded in specialty lenses. Dr. Tom Arnold, you know, welcome to the Specialty Lens Success Podcast, and thanks for being here today. I think we got a lot to talk about, and people have a lot to learn from you.
1: It's a pleasure, uh, Ted. Always love talking specialty lenses.
0: Um, before we go any further, I just want to make sure people understand something. When they when they see your name and your title, they'll frequently see that the, the uh, acronym FSLS behind your name. What does that mean?
1: Well, I'm very privileged and pleased to be a fellow of the Scleral Lens Education Society.
0: Okay, so Scleral Lens Education Society. What does it take to become a fellow of that society?
1: Oh, you do take a test, do some cases, some presentations. Uh, I think I did a poster, some case reports, to read A. Vanderwarp's Warp's excellent book on the Guide to Scleral Lens Fitting. I think I've read it three times. Uh, and you take a little test on that, uh, you know, just to, just to demonstrate proficiency in the field of scleral lenses.
0: Okay. And you're also a member of the Eye S-C-L-S. Tell us what that means. Well, I, I was very pleased
1: and, and proud to be associated with that. That's an invitation-only membership program. Uh, Greg Denier, who's a very close friend of mine, invited me and, and welcomed me into the organization. It's the International Society of Contact Lens Specialists. And it has a, a very unique history. Um, shortly after World War II, Two ophthalmologists, one from Germany and one from Great Britain, joined an American optometrist, and they formed this society uh, to, um, you know, enhance the knowledge of contact lenses and specialty care. And it's been going since the end of World War II, and they meet every 18 months in a different part of the world. So they they truly are an international organization. Uh, COVID hit them pretty hard, uh, as it did a lot of us around the country, so around the world. So we're looking forward to our meeting next month, uh, happens to be in Tucson, Arizona. So it's very convenient for
0: me. And since we're talking about organizations, um, and I, I didn't intend to do this when we first <laughs> outlined this program, but I just think this is valuable to the listeners. Um, the Scleraline Education Society, is that something that you recommend people belong to if if they're really going to be involved in scleral lenses should they try to get involved in that organization?
1: Absolutely there's there's uh, no barrier to that. Membership is free. Their website is sclerallens.org Sclerolens.org. It's a wonderful resource. Uh, when you go there, you'll find an ar- uh, archives of articles, archives of webinars, all sorts of papers and documents that will help you get started. Scleral Lens Education Society pretty much has a presence at all the major meetings, uh, and so yeah, it's a very welcoming uh, group. It's not it's not exclusive at all. We welcome anyone who's interested in in fitting scleral lenses. Fellowship's another level, but like I described to you, you, know, you write papers and, and submit some cases, but anyone can be a member and take advantage of all the resources that the Scleral Lens Society has to offer.
0: Okay. And any other organizations you recommend since one of the subject of organizations uh, for somebody that's into specialty lens fitting and, or trying to build their practice into that area?
1: Certainly. Well, you know, Ed Bennett's organization, the Gas Permeable Lens Institute, GPLI, is a wonderful organization that that um, has educational opportunities, uh, not only on scleral lenses, but all sorts of rigid gas permeable lenses and specialty lenses. In fact, when I first got started and decided that I needed to uh, incorporate scleral lenses into my practice i went to a gpli full day workshop that happened to be in dallas uh, and it was it was devoted to rigid contact lenses they had one module of scleral lenses in a wet lab and uh, greg denier who i didn't know at the time i met him there uh, put the first scleral lens on my eye <laughs> in this workshop and i went wow, this is something, you know, it's comfortable and I can see well, even though I, I didn't need correction at the time. So uh, GPLI, similarly to the Scarlin Society, has a vast library of all sorts of materials, uh, billing and coding materials, marketing materials, even fee calculators where you can calculate your chair time and office overhead uh, just it's just a wealth of knowledge, you know. And the, the specialty lens field, I think, is unique in optometry. Certainly unique in in the field of medicine. In that, I've never been involved in any organization, you know, either socially or sports or you know, professionally, that's so open and and welcoming as the specialty lens world. Um, I, I've been privileged to meet a lot of the real giants, you know, in this field. Through the years, and they're all just incredibly nice, and and just want to elevate, you know, the knowledge and the profession, and we all have the same goal, you know, to make a, to make the world a better place, you know, to help our fellow human beings, and so it's uh, it's it's just a privilege to to be associated with people in groups like this.
0: Absolutely, very valuable, and so for the listeners, I will have links to these organizations in the show notes. A little bit later on, we're going to be talking to Tom about the ICESC meeting, which is in uh, at the end of July this year. And I'll have a link to that organization and uh, to that website as well in case um, you want to go, because that's very valuable. But we'll talk m- more detail about that toward the end of the program. Okay. Well, thank thank you for letting me throw that curveball at you. That wasn't in our outline, but I think it's it's just something that you're very experienced in these organizations. And I think it's valuable to the listeners, especially since this is our inaugural podcast, right? This is the first one. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing now, what you did and what you're doing now in terms of your <laughs> practice, your career, or uh-huh. whatever.
1: Sure. Uh, well, what I did was when I and people that know me have heard this uh, story before, so please forgive, I wanted to be an English teacher. So I love literature, I love writing, uh, I love learning, I love students. So I went to college to be an English teacher. But at the time that that I was in college, I was talked out of that, said no, that's not a field that you know you should do. You should do something else. So I actually got a business degree because I like I like the math and the finance, you know, I wanted to be an economist. Because I'm kind of a nerd at heart, you know, I like forecasting and and various things. And I, I did that for a few years. Uh, I actually got in the computer industry, uh, married my wife, who I'm still married to after almost 47 years. And I didn't enjoy the computer field as much. And, and I wanted to help people. I wanted to reach out. I was very myopic as a child, got contact, got glasses at a very young age, got contacts at a very young age back in the old hard days. Hard lens days. And I thought, well, eye care is something I could do. I like eye care. I'm familiar with going to the eye doctor. Uh, this is something that that interests me. And and it was in the science field. So I started, I went, I went to optometry school in at the University of Houston, uh, graduated um in in 1984. Very, very fortunate. Earl Smith, who everybody knows now is a giant in myopia control. I learned uh, vision science i took two courses from vision science of from earl smith i was very involved in cornea research Uh, i was a teaching assistant in a cornea lab where we do and we were looking at snake eyes (laughs) very very fortunate that my anatomy teacher was jan bergmanson and jan is world famous you know his his ocular anatomy book is like in its 27th or 28th edition So he's a giant in the field. So I was very, very um, fortunate to be associated with these people. And I just I loved optometry. I loved the science. uh, And I love that it was very practical, that I went in with every encounter, I could make a difference in someone's life. So it just hit all the boxes, you know, Uh, the learning, the teaching, the research, I actually, I didn't had my own practice for about eight years. I worked in ophthalmology. I, I worked on the uh, early treatment diabetic retinopathy study, uh, the ETDRS. I did that for two years under a retina specialist, and I learned a lot there. I was I went with the residents, all the ophthalmology residents. They, they welcomed me, and I did everything they did, um, except surgery, of course. And then I worked in large ophthalmology groups uh, after leaving that position for eight years. So I really I really felt that I got a a thorough grounding in disease and and proper medicine techniques. And then I decided, well, you know, if I'm going to work this hard, I might as well uh, reap the reward. So then I decided to open my own practice in 1992.
0: Wow. You opened your own practice and you by yourself cold?
1: Yeah, cold. It was funny. Uh, I was in suburban Houston, uh, a place called Sugarland, which goes back to Civil War days because they used to grow sugar cane there. And that was my home. My grandfather was a rancher there, but it was suburban Houston by the 90s. And so it was a growth area. I opened in a strip center cold. I had uh, a cash register, an NCT, a fax machine that I was very proud of. It was about the size of a small uh, bus. Uh, and I had, I think I had one and a half exam rooms or something. And so I started, and I was just very, like, yeah, right place, right time. The center was good. The access was good. And man, there wasn't much competition in the area. And so I was it.
0: Awesome. And so you're cranking along on this practice. You're growing the practice. How long did it take you to add an associate?
1: I had, uh, I as I said, I'd worked with ophthalmology groups. I was very fortunate to be become good friends with a, an older ophthalmologist, Harvard trained, uh, very reputable. He was uh, he was the president of the local Harris County Ophthalmology Society for a while. He was getting on in years and and just wanted to work a little bit. So he came one day a week, so we had some ophthalmology coverage, and so I had him for so you know a long time, just one day a week, and and. Fairly shortly afterwards, I think by the second year or third year, of course, it's a long time ago now. I added an associate. I always wanted to be a a group practice. I never wanted to be. Uh, our practice was a was a franchise called Today's Vision, now I, and I owned it. It was a C corporation. It, it was my practice, but we franchised the name uh, because that had started in the Houston area, and there were several locations. So I never wanted to be, you know, Tommy Arnold, world's greatest optometrist. You know, I wanted I wanted a brand name, and I wanted a place that, no matter, you know, who saw the patient, they would get the same level and of care. So I had associates, you know, uh, for a number of years. I had one associate who was my partner for sixteen years, uh, a, a wonderful woman named uh, Melissa uh, Moeller, and she. Uh, she came right out of school she had an interest in pediatrics and muscles uh, which I wasn't particularly interested in so we fit together real well uh, but her husband was a very very high profile psychiatrist who did brain research and um you know very high-end stuff lectured all over the world, contributed to journals and after 17 years he he got uh, a promotion where he was head of psychiatry at Virginia Commonwealth University <clears throat> so anyway after, those many years she left and from that time on i just had employee uh, employed ods but I always had there was always two of us and when i really got into scleral lenses which is act- actually after she left um we had two and a half other doctors so that i could concentrate on my scleral lens practice
0: got it so let's talk about that segue so you started out and of course with your background working um uh, with the ETDRS study, w- working for the MDOD groups, and so on, you you were sort of unusual, probably back then, in that you had a real strong medical background. Um, so you had a, a medical component to your practice. You had the refractive component to your practice. And then about fifteen years into the practice, you told me that you told me about the story about uh, a particular patient that got you on your way into specialty lenses. Tell us that story.
1: Yeah. And again, it's, it's something I've told a lot. So, uh, you know, forgive me, forgive your listeners. Uh, please hope your listeners forgive me if they've heard this, but you know, I always had an interest in contact lenses. Uh, I, even from the day I started, we would do gas permeables and and bifocal rigid lenses and, and the, the more exotic soft bifocal. So always, de, always had and developed uh, a large contact lens practice. And I knew about scleral lenses probably around 2000. I can't remember exactly, you know, 2007 or eight or nine, somewhere in there. Uh, the SLR rep came through and said, you know, we have these new lenses and kind of read about them. I thought that was interesting. But at that point, we were definitely two and a half doctors and, you know, we were very busy. We grew a big practice. And so I thought, well, that's real nice, but I just don't have time for that. It's too specialized, take too much time. So I knew about them. What was interesting, the, the story is when I was working on the ETDRS and working with the ophthalmologist, a young uh, ophthalmologist joined this practice. It's a very large ophthalmology practice, like 50 doctors. And he just came out of his uh, fellowship in cornea with Herb Kaufman uh, at, at LSU in, in New Orleans. And Herb was nationally known, internationally known cornea specialist. So yeah. this guy, uh, Dr. Goosey joined the Herman group. Um, and we became friends we're the same age i was just starting he was just starting he's a cornea guy and so uh, he became my main cornea uh, resource and referral my entire career we're, we're very good friends and so you know in, in a big practice i had keratoconus patients and pellucid patients and, and so forth and i was treating them in the standard way you know with uh uh, many you know co- what we call cone lenses which are little small rigid lenses very very steep uh, tried some hybrids uh, did some of the specialty soft lenses we did all these different things in particular i i had a patient who was you know just became more more uh, ectatic uh, advanced keratoconus so i sent him to, to dr goosey my friend and he's saying you go get your graph done and after you get your graph come back and then i'll fit you you know your cornea is getting too distorted And Dr. Goosey sent him back to me and said, no, no, fit him in a scleral lens. And so he was the one that encouraged me to do scleral lenses. And I thought, well, I'm too busy. I don't want to do that. And he said, well, send him to Jan Bergmanson at the University of Houston, because Jan likes to do these things. So I thought, yeah, that's a great idea. Go let Jan do it. But then I had a second patient, same thing, a a young woman, uh, very advanced, very steep, and sent her to Goosey. And he said, no, do it. So that's when I decided, OK, I need to cowboy up and learn to do this, and so that's when I attended the lecture that I told you about in Dallas with GPLI, and uh, after that experience, you know, after that prompting uh, from ophthalmology, and then the experience I had putting the lens on, realizing the comfort and the ease of it, I, I walked out of the, the lecture hall there in, in Dallas, and there were some booths set up, and I walked up to one, uh, It happened. To, it happened to be Blanchard, and I knew the name and, and I walked up to him and said, you have scleral lenses? And he goes, yeah, we do. <laughs> I said, well, I guess I need that. So they sent me a kit and uh, it arrived in my office a couple of weeks later. I opened it up. I had no idea what it was. I, every The terms run familiar. The lenses run familiar. I had to read through it several times. Uh, but then I had this kit. And so one of my cone patients came in and she was one wearing a, a corneal you know, GP. And uh, she was in for her annual exam, and and I said, well, I have these new lenses. Uh, they're supposed to be good. They, they seem to work, and you know it's the latest thing. Do you want to try them? And she goes, yeah, yeah sure, and yeah, whatever you say, Doctor Arnold. So I went to the kit and read the instructions and put a lens on her eye, and I was just very lucky. <laughs> I was lucky that it centered and it fit well and, and cleared her cornea. And she just went, man, this is great. I I love this. Yes, let's let's do this. And so from that day the light went on, and I just, you know, wanted to learn everything about scleral lenses and uh went from there.
0: Awesome. That's great. I love stories about how things get started. That's a that's a really, really great story. So the light went, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the light went off. Now you're you're sort of hooked, you're very interested in this, and you, you had cones in your practice that you're like you said, you're managing other lenses. So that was a source of some of your first scleral lens patients. How did that momentum build up to the point where you said in your mind, I'm going to specialize in this.
1: It's very, very large medical community in Houston. The doctors had done, the ophthalmologists had done a lot of radio keratotomy, you know, whenever that became popular. I probably, I don't know, late sixties, certainly through the seventies. Yeah. And so, a lot of my patients were post RK ectasias, uh, and and all all your audience knows that after a while they become typically very hyperopic, a lot of astigmatism, oblique, irregular. So that was a, you know, a, a patient base that we had and we're servicing. Um, but when I decided that that this is powerful and uh, and no one else was doing it in my area that, that I knew of, I, you know, other than the university no one was doing scar lenses that i was aware of and so uh i thought well this is a niche you know and and it's interesting and you know the my practice was going you know with the other doctors so i had the routine thing going so i like challenges you know i, I like doing things that i hadn't done before i like i like learning I, i'm a lifelong learner i thought well I'm, i want to build this so i made up a packet of information about scurl lenses, a referral form, something about uh, insurance, you know, how it was going to be handled and basic information in the packet was for referring doctors and the patient. And I just, you know, took the show on the road and, and I took half a day, you know, every couple of weeks for several months and I visited, you know, every practice near me um, ophthalmology, optometry, the corporate people who wouldn't have access to rigid lenses at all. And uh, you know, one 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 thing that that I I've heard all my career is that in optometry we don't refer enough to each other to other optometrists, whether whether maybe someone's a dry eye specialist or a vision therapy specialist or, you know, whatever the specialty is that optometrists, you know, will refer to ophthalmology, but they won't refer to each other because we're scared, you know, they're going to steal our patients. But I found in this area, that's that wasn't the case. I had a number of people that either, you know, didn't have the capacity to develop this in their practice or didn't have the desire or time. And a lot of my referrals came from uh, doctors in, in commercially based practices uh, just general private practice, and and the ophthalmologists opened their arms to to me. Uh, not only in anterior segment surgeons, you know, who were dealing with corneal issues, but uh, rheumatologists, you know, who had all the dry eye people and the and the uh, you know the, the rheumatoid arthritis and lupus and Sjogren's, you know, uh, and then plastics, you know, the plastic the oculoplastics doctors. Uh, one of them told me. You know, after after I do my surgery, I'm done. You know, I, there's nothing more I can do. And so, you know, if they have some um, lid lag or exposure or something, you know, then the lenses take care of it. So, so I, I just beat the bushes, and over time, you know, the I got that got known in, in the referral base. Yeah,
0: yeah. So now we're talking about marketing for the listeners. Then, so a half day every two weeks, you're out. Knocking on a few doors and you know handing them out this packet, and the re- the contents of the packet, if I recall from the conversation you know, I had a week ago or so, was um, you know you had a you had your CV, you had a, a patient form, so it was easy for somebody that that's back in the day initially of faxes, right? So it was something that somebody could fill out and fax to you if they're referring a patient over. What else was? You had, did you have some information about scleral lenses or treatment or whatever? What else did you include in that?
1: Yeah, I believe I believe the GPLI has, has brochures. I believe that's where we got them from. On you know what a scleral lens is, you know, nice little trifold brochure with some you know, color pictures. What a scleral lens is. We had we had the CVs as you said in the referral form. The referral form was for the referring physicians or optometrists, but the rest of the pack, packet was geared towards the patient. And so we probably had a couple of paragraphs about edges in 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 addition to the brochure. We had something about medical insurance, you know, that sometimes this is covered, sometimes it's not. Uh, you know, we'll do our best to work with you, but you know, it's your responsibility, you know, and we will, we will do the best we can for you. Uh, and the C V, as you said. Mm, I think that's about it. You know, it's, okay. And we just put it. You know, we just put it. We just buy a folder at Office Depot and just slip this paper in. And we made up, you know, a sticker, you know, a label for the front, you know, Thomas Arnold and Associates and so forth. So, yeah. So yeah, I'd hand out, you know, three or four, you know, to everyone. Did you
0: ever? Did you ever invite um uh, a potential referring or a referring doctor uh, to your practice to see what you did? Always, always. We always encourage
1: them. Yeah, you, know, br- you know, if you refer a patient, you're welcome to come, you know. And and my stance was always, you know, I'll evaluate them, I'll I'll fit them, I'll, I'll get them on the road, and you can do the follow-up. You know, I'll teach you how to do this, you know. Because like I said, I, I do enjoy education. Uh, but it's uh, uh I tell you what, Ted, you know, people uh some people took advantage of that but most didn't they were just like this is complicated i don't want to thanks a lot tom (laughs) you know let me know uh but i always wrote letters back always encouraged them to go back to their referring doctor you know for glasses and routine follow-up i never never wanted to be accused of stealing a patient i didn't want to steal a patient i just wanted to make them better and let let the referring doctor do everything else so
0: i think an important thing that you went through in a uh just a little bit of repetition here is the wide variety of people that you approached over time. Um, and one, and one example being the rheumatologists, you know, because they have the dry eye patients and, um, you know, some practitioners that I talk to don't realize that dry eye is, uh, an area that scleral lenses can add a lot of value.
1: Yeah. What, well, one anecdote about that work, the referrals, but work both ways, uh, one patient that, that I recall, a very nice lady, I saw her for a number of years, uh, and she was in her 50s. She had had radiokerototomy keratotomy, um, kind of typical, you know, now is a hyperope, certainly a presbyope because of her age, a lot of astigmatism, and, and her eyes were dry. And, 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 you know, keep in mind, this is Houston, Texas. It's 100% humidity. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is wet all the time. Uh, but people have dry eyes, and uh, she liked her scleral lenses. Uh, we had fit her successfully, and her vision was good. But she still was uncomfortable. She still had dry eyes, and and I did I didn't have a super dry eye practice. We we did the usual and customary things that that a lot of people do for dry eyes, and she was still uncomfortable. And I asked her about. his I said, you know, anybody ever work you up for anything autoimmune, systemic, or whatever? She goes, no. So, uh, well, I I said, well, why don't you go get this blood work done? You know, I'm I'm not a rheumatologist or internist, but you know, I I I can read this. So she got got her blood work done. She came back. She had like two markers for lupus. Wow. And so I sent her to the rheumatologist, and she had lupus. So uh, the profession of optometry is a gatekeeper profession, you know, and we do have to keep our mind and eyes and ears open. To, to treating the patient. And we, we lecture on this, uh, people, friends of mine who are in this field, you know, emphasize that we're fitting a scleral lens and we're all on the landing zone and quad specific. And, you know, we're gonna clear this cornea and we do all these things, right? We're treating a disease, you know, it, it's incumbent on us to become knowledgeable that this is a, you know, this is an underlying condition. This is a disease process. I'm not just putting a piece of plastic on your eye.
0: Yeah. Okay. So now time has gone by. Time's gone by. You're, you you've really specialize. You're doing all this stuff. And now social media starts to kick in and you get involved in Facebook. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, well, that's, that's great. I uh, started in... On this journey of learning and fitting scar lenses, I started taking pictures, you know, for my own education, for my own reference, and to communicate with the lab. My good friend Ed Boschnik uh, down in Miami, Florida, who's just world-renowned fitter and, and a wonderful photographer, and we became friends, and he helped me become a better photographer. I had these pictures, and uh, I would publish them um, just for education. And a good friend of mine, uh, Nate Tram, who was also there in Florida, said that he wanted to start a Facebook page. Uh, we call it Scleralins Fitters. Now we changed the name to Scleralins Practitioners. And this was, oh, I don't know, a number of years ago. And he said, I want to do a Facebook page on this and invited me to co-admin with him. And so, yeah, that's what we started doing. And it it was to share information and teach and learn um and and have a platform where we can share information and it's uh uh, very proud of that it's uh square lens practitioners on facebook nate went on to do other some other things he's still involved in it however but uh melissa barnett and i now co-chair that facebook page
0: okay so when we talk about Go ahead. We don't allow
1: pay. I just want to say one thing: we don't allow patients because we don't. We're not in the business of giving patient advice. Right. Uh, but uh, we do allow industry partners to. You know, we 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 invite consultants from the different labs to come. But it, but it's not an advertising platform. It, we do have an advertising feature, but that's that's a a feed thing. We don't we don't want it to be a bulletin board.
0: Uh, right. exactly
1: it's it's for sharing information in praise of the consultants uh, i always tell people that you know the um, the consultants at the labs have fit more scleral lenses more special lenses than i have or ever will so they're a wealth of knowledge and and i always have leaned on the the consultants you know at the lab for their knowledge and help um and and providing with pictures and topography and scleroprophylometry and the tools, they can we help them help us. Uh, right. and so we invite their participation on our Facebook page. Uh, and we
0: welcome it. Well, that's a good segue into the next section of our discussion here, which is technology and workflow. And um, you know, in the early days, fitting was more of an art. um and so, the you had the fitting set, but there was, I guess, a topographer of some type, but uh, it was not high tech. And then, then you moved into you had access to better topographers or shinefug devices like the Medmont or the Pentacam, and then finally the ESP. How did that all work for you?
1: Well, uh, I think optometrists like toys. You know, we're technically based. We're optically based. Uh, you're absolutely right. When uh, I had a very early topographer called it ISIS, uh, mm-hmm. which was very—I don't know when that was. That must have been late '90s or early 2000, because before fitting scar lenses, uh, we were my, my friend I was telling you about my cornea specialist. Uh, we were involved in a laser center together. I had had LASIK, and and uh, so we were we were screening people and following people for LASIK. Um, and so I had an, an, uh, an early ISIS, you know, where I was looking for abnormalities. Of course, it wasn't Scheinpflug, so we didn't know what was going on the posterior side. But we, you know, we looked at uh, inferior and uh, superior, you know, uh, differences, uh, asymmetry differences. So, so I had that, and, you know, we used that a little bit in contact lens fitting. Um in the early scleral fitting, you're right. It was it was, you know, maybe take some K's and maybe look at the HVID and try to extrapolate. And it was, you know, it was it was hit or miss. It was putting on a lens, looking at it, and so forth. And we can still do that. Uh, my good friend Christine Sent says the best topographer in the world is putting a lens on the eye and looking at it. You know, right. but it, it is when you're that experienced. And I have to tell you a, a little anecdote. A very good friend of mine is Ken Pullum. Ken Pullum is in, in, in England at Moorfields in London. He also has his own private practice. And Ken's been doing this his whole career, you know, more than 40 years, uh, Scarlet Lenses, and he's designed Scarlet Lenses. And he's just one of the one of the icons in the Scarlet Lens world and, and a wonderful guy. And a number of years ago, Dottie Fidel had a conference in Rome uh, invited very, very prominent people. And, and I was there and I was just getting started in profilometry. Uh, and so was Greg Denier. And uh, there was uh, uh, Greg Jamalis from Dallas who had uh, developed a system with an OCT of, of designing specialty lenses. You know, very, very smart guy. Uh, and, uh, so so I get up and I'm speaking on profilometry for uh, Oculus, uh, their CSP program. Uh, Greg Deneer gets up and he's talking about his S map. Jamalus gets up, you know, he's got this Basante OCT from Zeiss and he's designing, he's got it. He's a, he's an engineer, I think by training. And so he had all his algorithms. He's making these custom lenses and Ken Pullum followed us. And Ken gets up on stage and he goes, he said, "That's all really interesting. You know, that's that's really some interesting stuff you guys have." He said, "You know, but it's really quite simple. You just put the lens on the eye and look at it." <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, and again, easy for Ken to say because he'd been doing it for forty years. Uh, but he kind of made fun of it. But but I will tell you, I mean, it, at the end of the day, the what we want to do is give the best care for our patients, and that means not only giving them good vision, comfortable vision, fitting them well we have to be cognizant of their time you know people have jobs people have families uh you know they can't afford to take off work and come see us 10 times while we you know fit and tweak and all these things so what technology does it doesn't doesn't obviate the need for you to understand and know what you're looking at and and you know be knowledgeable but what it does is it it just gets you a lot closer to the end point quicker, you know, less remakes, less visits to the doctor, better, better optics, everything. And so, yeah, technology is great. And for anybody that's serious about it, uh, they should take advantage of technology. And you think, well, there's two sides to that. You can think on one hand, well, I don't do that many scleral lenses. I I like it. It's important, but I just don't have that that patient base. I may do one a month or every couple of months. So why why should I invest in expensive equipment? And really, I think the opposite's true. If you're doing it all the time, all day long, then yeah, you can walk in the room, pop a lens on, look at it and go, Zit, zot, bam, you know, this is what you need to do. You know, if, if you're Ken Pullum or Christine Senn or, or Dottie Fidel. But if you have, you know, like I said, more limited experience and you have technology that that shows you the high points the low points the clearance and you send that data file you're not sending just a picture you're sending the whole data file to the lab and and all the labs now I think can import that data those data and help you design the lens that fits right the first time or really really close at least you get a a comfortable lens that's wearable uh, that gives good acuity and that that makes Life better for the patient, makes better for your staff, makes better for your economic bottom line, and increases your satisfaction. So yeah, I love technology. It's worth It, it is absolutely and it ha- w- worth it.
0: And when did you get introduced to
1: the ESP? number of years ago. A no, number of years ago. I don't know, 2015, 2016, something like that. Uh, met Arnie uh, Snifongers, you know, from Eaglet uh very nice guy we really hit it off he he was working with it and we played with it you know what it was i think it was at our very first icsc meeting uh, and that would have been about 2015 or 26 okay. 2015 and he exhibited and so i saw that and and then you had you had the pentacam you had the oculus people there you know you had zeiss there so all these instruments were out and the profilometer, uh, the Eaglet, and I—I I do speak for Eaglet. It just became, to me, the the dominant technology for fitting the sclera because it is, you know, as, as you know, it's a platform that works with uh, forty different labs. It's accurate. It's fast. The tech—the te- technicians like it. So I think at this point in time, as we're speaking, I think, I think that's the profilometer to go to for the serious fitter but okay. i have my eaglet t-shirt on i want everybody to hear this i, I have my eaglet <laughs> but i but i've worked with zeiss and uh like i said i've i know i know greg denier and the visionary optics team so there are a lot of good instruments it's kind of what what your practice demographics are what your budget is and and what do you want to do with the device uh sometimes people ask me do i do i want a cam or do i need an eaglet you know and I say they're different devices. Pentacam is a wonderful device. It's a, it's a shine fluke. It's going to give you global pechymetry. It's going to tell you what's going on the, on the posterior surface of the of the cornea. It's going to monitor all these progresses. It's a different animal than, than an eaglet, which is a, a topographer, you know, with all the maps that you expect from topography, axial, tangential, elevation, tangent, you know, tangent maps of the sclera but it really does a really good job of mapping the scleral shape out to 20 or even 21 millimeters. So they're they're different things. I had them both, you know? Okay. Kind of like, yeah, you have a Corvette and you have a Hummer. You know, (laughs) they're completely different things, but they have their their own utility.
0: Sure, sure. Okay, to continue about technology, I just want to ask you one one other question, which is how did you organize your staff in the end how is your staff organized to help you with uh, specialty lenses?
1: That is a great question, Ted, and I'm glad you you brought it up. When I when I give lectures to optometrists uh, that are just starting on this journey and, and want to develop that into their that's part of their practice, you know, I say, you're optometrist or you're a, a NCLE or maybe you're an ophthalmologist and you want to do this, you're going to learn it. If you put a little time and effort in, you'll learn it. I and mean, this is your field. The The challenge is bringing it into your practice is exactly what you articulated. How do you schedule? How do you vet the patients in terms of their needs, their uh, insurance, you know, their insurance profile, their ability to pay, their time commitment, all these things. When you have a busy practice as we have, how do you integrate this type of a patient encounter into a general practice because it's time consuming you're going to do a lot of different tests as we were just talking about so what we found early on is that we did we set aside time in our schedule just for these patients and what that meant early on was i think we had two half days a week and for me, and I said we always had two doctors. So for me, I only saw scurril lens patients, and that may be new fits, that may be follow ups, that may be dispenses, but but I didn't mixed, I didn't mix the scurl patients with my general population, uh, and that's important because uh, they require more testing, more follow up, and you don't want your general population to be backed up. Because a tech is spending a lot of time with the patient. So I think, I think that's step number one. Step number two is um, training the staff, thoroughly training the staff. Uh, and that, that is on insertion and removal and care. Uh, when we have instrumentation, it's training them on to use OCTs and eaglets and, and so forth. Uh, it's, it's doing, um, in services with the staff where they put lenses on and take them off. And so they, they feel, they feel more comfortable suggesting it, that that it is comfortable and it feels good and so forth. So I relied on staff heavily. And that was, I think, from my ophthalmology background, because ophthalmologists do that, uh, you know, in a large ophthalmology practice, the techs, the residents, uh, the junior doctors do a lot of that busy work. And so uh, I took that model in, into the practice where I would, you know, I'm I'm ai am an evaluator of the testing. I I don't test. <laughs> I send other people to test and I evaluate. So we worked out a system and a schedule, and we worked out protocols for every type of visit. If it's a brand new visit, first time patient, then this is the protocol. Uh, on dispense day, this is the protocol. On progress visit day, this is the protocol, so they don't have to come ask me every time. You know, uh, Betty Jones is here. What do you want me to do? You know, it, the visit decide, defines the testing to be done, and so I think that's really important. Yeah, and, and I would get in terms of in terms of testing uh, for for doctors that have several different technicians take your best one, (laughs) take, take the smartest, the fastest, the best one and assign them to be head tech in this, especially starting and you're seeing, you know, uh, a limited number of patients a month, any one tech, they don't get enough hands-on. So you need hands-on to run an Eaglet or a Pentacam or an OCT. You need hands-on to be confident insertion and removal. So uh, I would pick your head tech and make them kind of in charge of things.
0: And in the end, were your technicians doing like with the ESP, were the were the technicians doing all the imaging or were you with the patient and the technician? Oh no.
1: <laughs> no, the techs did it. Uh yeah, no. Uh yeah, why should I be in there holding lids and, and doing things? They can do it and and they were very good at it. No, no, no. It was uh so so like a typical thing would be uh, a new patient, say. They come in, history, vision, autorefractor, pressure, uh, kind of history. And I think then uh, I would go in and look at them and just have a little chat. You know, hi, this is you. This is why you're here. Do you have any questions? So forth. Uh, and, you know, just just introduce myself and introduce them. And then the technician would go, and do uh, like a profilometry, uh, maybe aberometry, if, if I thought that was important, they would do that. I would go look at those data and I would go, okay, this is what I want. This is what we're doing with this patient. Go pull these lenses and so forth. And I just look at it and then that patient would go and, and get their diagnostic lenses and I go see the next patient and, and so forth. Uh, and then, and I train my staff. In the case of diagnostic lenses, I'd say, "Well, put these lenses on the patient," and I train them to look at the fluorescein pattern. You know, to to look at it, to make sure there was no bubbles, to take take a very bright cobalt light, you know, and look at it, cobalt blue light, and look at it. And they would know if there was too much clearance. I would train them. This is too much. You know, uh, you got to take this off. I'd train them to look for touch you know they'd have to change that and i'd them to look for bubbles and and they would make the those changes as needed um and then when they they would come to me and say okay uh, we got the lens on we think they look good then i would say okay fine and i'd go slit lamp them right then i just slit lamp them and go okay yeah that looks good i'm gonna let that settle okay and because we always want, you know, very well-known fact that lenses lose about half their clearance in, in 30 to 45 minutes. That is, if, if they're clearing at 200 and 30 minutes later, they're going to be at about 100. So as long as they cleared um, and didn't centered fairly, as long as I thought it was OK, then the patient went back with the technician and they set up their follow-up appointment. They kind of introduced care gave a schedule of follow-ups, you know, just, just chatted with them. Uh, And then they would come back to me. I would look at them, take my final assessment, over-refract them, and then I'm done. So okay. you know, I, I gave them a lot of attention, but I don't need to sit there and run the test. So,
0: okay, you know. yeah. and same thing yeah. with
1: follow up Same thing with follow-up, they would come in. They have to be wearing the lenses at least three or four hours. So I don't want it first thing in the morning. They come in, check vision, what's your wearing time, tell me your solutions, how are you doing? They would go do OCT, and they they would look at the clearance, you know, they would do the OCT, and then I would see the patient. So then I had history, I had OCT, I could look at the patient themselves, and that's how I did things.
0: Okay, okay, awesome. Okay, now let's change gears because I don't want to uh, lose the opportunity to talk about your so-called retirement in, in quotes, very sarcastically, the word retirement. ICSC, you know, tell us about the ICSC and what we should expect at this year's meeting.
1: Great. Thank you for the opportunity for that. Yeah, that's something that uh, Bill Trattler, who's an ophthalmologist in, in uh, Florida, Miami, and, and Nathan Schramm came up with, and uh, Nate invited me to to help him with it. We started, I think, in twenty. 20- 2015 2015 and 2016. we were part of the uh, advanced refractive Congress. the advanced refractive Congress decided that squirrels had a had a place in, in the anterior segment sphere And so um, we started the International Congress of squirrel contacts, and it was the first meeting in the world that was solely dedicated to everything scleral, and we had we had a full one day meeting. Uh, we always had lectures, workshops, um, and so forth. And after a couple of years, it, it was well attended. We actually became bigger than the Advanced Refractive Congress. And so the sponsors of this, the the Bryn Mawr Communications people who were who were putting this on, separated us off and gave us two days, so we have two full days. We've learned every year, you know, we we solicit feedback and we try to make it better. And so uh, this year, it's two full days, and it has been for the last several years. We have uh, lecturers, we have sessions on on all things squirrels. It is truly international. Last year, we had people from 25 countries. Wow. Uh, we've had speakers from uh, Russia, from Italy, from Australia, from South Africa, uh, the UK, uh, the Netherlands, Australia, you know, just, just we've had the top people in, in the world at the meetings, uh, the icons of scar lenses. But we try to have some, something for everyone, advanced and, you know, people just getting started. So this year, we have, it's two days, Friday and Saturday, July 28th and 29th. It's in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, at the Marriott Harbor Hotel. And we have two parallel tracks, Ted. One is called Foundations, and it's going to be led by uh, Brooke Messer, who is a very well-known uh, in scleral education and technology. And she's going to lead, lead a foundations track. And this is for people who are just getting into the scleral lenses. They've maybe fit a few, maybe uh, want to expand their knowledge and just really how to, you know, mm-hmm. things we talked about, what technology do I need? You know, what, what lenses do I need? What technology, how do I train my staff? How do I market my practice? Uh, and just the a, a to Z. And that'll be a full morning of the, just that. We're inviting the practitioners to bring your staff. And you know, we'd love to have your staff come. At the same time, we have another track called Masters. And Masters are those of us who fit lenses regularly, maybe you are, are dealing with more challenging cases or maybe we're going to take the practice to the next level, like impression molding, or we're going to buy some, you know, instrumentation. How do I how do I deal with higher order aberrations? And how do I deal with, you know, uh, blebs and shunts and, you know, H, uh, graft versus host disease, really, really, uh, Stevens-Johnson syndrome, you know, how are these handled? So that's a parallel track for the more advanced uh, practitioner. Our workshops are already sold out. We have 40-minute workshops um, from different vendors where the the, op, the attendees will rotate. They'll get every workshop. We we have it in a series. So over two days, they have an opportunity to attend seven different workshops. Um, and uh, then it's always, it's a small meeting. You know, we, we get between 200 and 300 people. So the vendors are there. All the experts are there. Uh, you can just go up and talk to anyone and everyone, and it's, so it's very open, very welcoming. It's very casual. We're in it's July in Florida, <laughs> so so yeah. we don't dress up. <laughs> you know, you can come in shorts and flip flops, and you'll be just fine. So uh, we always have two keynotes in the past. As I mentioned, we had Don Ezekiel, who's one of the f- fathers of Scarlet lenses We had Ken Pullum. We had uh, Brian Tompkins last year. The, uh we had Simone Visser who's very well known uh Simone Simone and her father Rince Visser uh or did some early work on scleral shape and they they own you know Visser contacts in the Netherlands so we were really glad to have her uh, we're going to have Min An Tran from Hanoi Vietnam this year she's one of our keynotes and Min, Min is an amazing young lady she her mother's an ophthalmologist But men really didn't. She liked eyes and she liked contacts. She says she really didn't want to do ophthalmology. She has single handedly gotten optometry recognized in Vietnam as as a authentic profession. And she teaches the contact lens program at the Hanoi Medical University in Hanoi. She's very fluent wow. in English, very very articulate. She did her training in India, and she did uh, her master's degree in Melbourne, Australia. Lovely young woman. Just just uh, uh, Melissa and I interviewed her on our Globalized podcast. So we're excited yeah. to have her. We're still waiting for uh, a confirmation of our second keynote, but we always get we always get special people.
0: Sounds like a great meeting, and I'm looking forward to being there. That'll be my second one. So, I'm really looking forward to it. Be great well, that's, to... that's that's terrific. Okay. So, we covered that. I wanted to make sure we covered that. Any final thoughts that you might have? Two or three things, key things that somebody that's a little bit new to specialty lens fitting, scleral lens fitting, any final thoughts that you have to share before we wrap this up?
1: Well, you know, Lao Tzu, you know, the, the famous Tao, uh, Taoist said... You know the longest journey starts with a single step, and so you just have to do it. It, it. Like in my my journey, you know, I Greg put a lens on my eye, and I went, "This is great." I put a lens on that patient's eye. I described, and she goes, "This is wonderful." So you know, don't hold back, and don't don't think that you need to uh, buy a whole bunch of equipment to get started. Just I, I would examine your patient base. What kind of patients do you see? Talk to several different labs and, and try to align with uh, a lab that has products that are appropriate for your your patient demographics. Just get started and be bold. And, and you know you're the expert. You know patients don't know that you fit a thousand of these or they're the first ones, and, and you don't have to tell them. <laughs> you just say. This is new technology. It's very exciting. I think it's the best option for you, and just put it on. and They are comfortable, and scleral lenses. I'll have to say, I think they're very forgiving in a lot of ways. You know we we get very you know, we get very concerned uh, because yeah you know, we we want to do no harm, right? We don't want to impinge on the the cornea or the limbus or the sclera. Now, we don't want to do anything that would um uh, be adverse to our patient's health but on the other hand you can get away with a lot with the lids. <laughs> you know you you really can they're they're fairly forgiving i think and they're very very comfortable um so just get in there and do it uh join the lids practitioners on facebook come to our meetings certainly read 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 read, read. uh the uh, Contact Lens Spectrum is a wonderful uh, resource. The Review of Cornean Contact Lenses, which is a supplement to Review of Optometry, is a great resource. Get AFE VanderWARP's book. It's uh, A Guide to Scleral Lens Fitting by AFE VanderWARP. It's free. Just Google it and you can download it uh, from Bosch and Loam. You can download it from Pacific University. Uh, I read that book three times. There are a lot of YouTube videos. Uh, So yeah, you do need to take time to educate yourself, but just do it. It, It's fascinating. There's a, a great untapped market there. There's a great need. And these are the most, these are the most grateful patients because you're, you're the last resort. You're the difference between seeing and not seeing you're the difference between, you know, pain and not pain. And, uh, I, I always, it's amusing, uh, uh, I'll tell you one other anecdote. Uh, when Clark Chang started his broadcast, his global, his his podcast, he call it Chang, Chang Reaction. Clark's a good friend at a Will's Eye in, in Philadelphia, and uh, it was a podcast much like we've done today, Ted. And and he asked me really the same thing. We were winding up, and he said. Uh, well, well, Tom, what what really gets you going in the morning? What really makes you passionate about this? And you know, re- re- really floats your boat on this. And I said, well, Clark, I I really like making people cry, <laughs> and and you know, anybody that's done this for a length of time has patients just sit there and cry. I mean, you, they look at the chart for the first time, or they they see their their loved one clearly for the first time, and I've had the biggest, baddest meanest-looking hombres, you can imagine in my chair, and they just bubble up, you know, get get real emotional. So, uh, you know, we cry with them. Uh, so, awesome. Yeah. Get going. Yeah.
0: Start. Very good. Well, Tom, um, thank you so much for the time you've given us today. We've covered a lot of ground. And um, even though it's a little bit long, you'll be surprised. People listen to every minute of this. So thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me, Ted, and best of luck, and I look forward to seeing you in July.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Tom has lots of great advice. Like I said earlier, there will be a number of links in the show notes. And don't forget to invest in yourself and your practice. A good start is attending a meeting like the ICSC. Thanks for listening in today. And if you like this podcast and think a friend might enjoy it as well, simply use the share button on your podcast player. Now put one or two of the things you learned today into practice. Until next time.